Good morning. The hymns of dead white guys are good stuff. <laughs> and we sing a lot of them. They're good. That was a good one. I've never heard that one before. But I don't put it past John Newton to have written something like that. That sounds pretty normal for him. Let's pray to start and ask God to guide us and direct us as we look into his word. Father, thank you for your faithfulness to us. Thank you, Lord, for the fact that you have blessed the church with individuals who knew how to put words together in a rhyming way to communicate gospel truth that we in turn could put to music and sing. And that when we sing those words and we couple words with music, it tends to stick in our minds better. So Lord, I want to thank you this morning for providing Jesus to wash us with his blood. You have been kind and gracious to make us your children. And now that we are your children, you've gathered us together in groups of people called the church in different locations, different geographic places, uh, with different ethnicities and cultures all mixed together. And we are something unique and that the world doesn't get, doesn't understand but that you have divine, divinely devised for us for the sake of being a testimony to the world and also to help the world see what Jesus looks like. So this morning as we look into your word, we ask for your help. We ask for your uh, giving us the ability to understand what your word has to teach us. And we ask you, Lord, that our hearts and minds might be attuned to what you have for us this morning. And we pray these things in the precious name of our Savior, Jesus, who has washed us with his blood. Amen. My question this morning as we are together, um, Riley, am I on? Are you good? You can turn there to begin with. But I want to explore and answer the question, how can I, as a member of the body of Christ, specifically associated with Grace Baptist Church here in Scottsdale, <clears throat> how can I fulfill the mission of the church? How can I fulfill the mission of the church? Now, perhaps you need a little reminder of what the mission of the church is. Do you? Do you remember what it is? Well, what's the mission of the church? Okay. Our job is to proclaim the gospel. Okay. And that's supposed to be good news. Right? Wake up and talk to me because I'm going to talk to you a little while. So I want you to stay awake. I don't mind you talking back to me. Uh, in Acts chapter 2, 
verses 41 and 42, uh, Dr. Luke, the author of the book of Acts, he's also the, the author of the Gospel of Luke, Acts is the second volume of his two-volume set that he left us in the New Testament. But Acts chapter 2, Luke records in verses 41 and 42, and he kind of gives us the starting point for answering this broad question of how can I, as a member of the body of Christ, specifically here at Grace Baptist, fulfill the mission of the church? The early church engaged in very simple activities which speak volumes regarding its fulfillment of the Great Commission, which we know as, Go ye therefore and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them, baptizing them, and then teaching them to observe all things. And then that promise at the end, Lo, I am with you until the end of the age. But Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20 really give us the marching orders for the church. And they can be easily summarized in my free translation of Matthew 28 by saying, in your going, make disciples, baptizing those disciples and teaching those disciples to follow Christ. That's basically what Matthew 28, 19 and 20 say. Now notice why Jesus can make those uh, proclamations and give the command to make disciples. That's in verses 19 and 20. In verse 18, Jesus said what? All authority is given to me, both in heaven and in earth. Now, that's why he could give them those marching orders, because he has the authority as the Lord of the church to do so. So it's not like, okay, everybody, if you want to do something and you don't find anything else to do, then go make disciples. No, <laughs> that's not the essence of that command. The command is make disciples. In your going, make disciples. And as you make disciples, baptize them and teach them to follow Jesus. So our job as the church, and I'm talking not about this building, I'm talking about the people sitting here, because we could be gathered someplace else and it would still be Grace Baptist Church because you're not identified by this building. It, it just so happens you meet here. But if this building were to be destroyed, burned to the ground, leveled, Grace Baptist would still exist. Why? Because it ain't the building. <laughs> it's the people. And that's what's important for us to remember. The people is what constitutes a church. So because of that, our responsibility is to proclaim the gospel. But let me remind you of this. When we proclaim the gospel, our responsibility is to clarify it, not to enhance it and not to detract from it. Just speak it plain and simple. Well, how do we do that, you might ask? <laughs> so what does obedience to that command involve? Well, if we go to Acts chapter 2, verses 41 and 42, which I hinted at a few moments ago, its practical outworking comes out this way. Notice in verse 41. It begins with receiving the word, and then it moves on to baptism, and then 
it talks about adding people to the church, to the local body. This hints at the process involved in becoming part of the church. But notice what it says in verse 42. It says that they devoted themselves to four distinct activities. The apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayers. Now, I want you to notice about all of those activities. They all involve a group of people. In other words, those four activities, listening to, learning from the Apostles' Doctrine, involving yourself in fellowship, breaking of bread and prayers, are all community activities of the local church. They never were intended by Jesus to be individual things that we partake of outside of the community of believers. And so, as a result, it says that they devoted themselves in that passage. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, which is a euphemism for what we're going to do this morning following this message. He, Pastor Wayne did not tell me right away that we were having the Lord's table until, when was it, yesterday or day before? He didn't know what I was going to preach on either. So it was already included in it. <laughs> I love the way the Lord works those things out. But I think it's pretty impressive that God chooses for his people to gather as a community to be involved in those kinds of activities. Christianity was never, ever intended to be an individual sport, if you will. It was always conceived of being involved in the lives of other people doing this together. Now, there are times, there are places in this world where you have individuals who, who because of the gospel having reached out to them by various means, find themselves alone. That is not the norm. <laughs> and I know there are perhaps many more people who ought to be here fellowshipping with us who have chosen to do so voluntarily to do it alone somewhere else. But God's intent was never for it to happen individually. It was to have it occur corporately. That is why the church, and you find all these references all splattered throughout the, go the Gospels and especially the book of Acts and the epistles, that people gathered together to do things. There is a community aspect to the church that cannot be accomplished any other way. So that's why it's important for you to gather together. Because you were meant to gather together to do things as a body. Does that make sense? That's why God created the church. So that it would fellowship. And it would fellowship with itself through its individual members who came from 
all kinds of different ethnic backgrounds. If you look at the, 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 the book of Acts on the day of Pentecost, there are nine different countries represented across the Roman Empire who gathered in Jerusalem. And the reason why was because the, the, the Judaism had spread throughout the Roman Empire. And so good Jews do what? <laughs> they always come back home to roost in Jerusalem. That's a big deal for Jews. And so God used that opportunity where all these people who spoke all these different languages were all together in one place so that the gospel and the good works and the marvelous works of God would be proclaimed to them so that then when they left Jerusalem as now believers indwelt by the Spirit of God, they went out to the outer reaches of the Roman Empire and they spread the gospel wherever they went. And they created small little communities of believers. It began, first of all, as a movement in the synagogues, which was the Jewish ritual place to meet and to worship the God of the Jewish nation. But then the gospel spread and it moved into the Gentile realm. And we see that happen. And that's the purpose and the point of the book of Acts to show how the gospel spread. Now, what was the intent of God bringing people together, indwelling them with the Holy Spirit, giving them gifts that they could share and encourage and help one another with? Well, we have to go back to Jesus's final instructions in the Gospel of John. I told you I was going to go there. Chapter 13. John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. This is where Jesus told his disciples that they should love one another. And then he gives a telltale sign. He says that the world, how will men know that you are my disciples? He asks that probing question. What will be the telltale sign that people outside who are not Christians, who are not believers, how will they know if you are my disciples, one characteristic, if you love one another. Now you might say, okay, good. Now we know what a Christian looks like. Can we go home now? Yeah. Nope, not yet. The reason why is because I don't think that we should take that that, that command by the Lord Jesus in John chapter 13 and say, okay, fine, let's, let's do it. My question is, how in the world are we supposed to love one another? What does that look like? And you might say, well, he's going to take a long time to explain that one. You're right. I'm going to keep you till your tummies growl this morning. Not really. <laughs> but I want to... Why are you, what? you should have had breakfast before you came this morning. Come on, seriously? There were donuts out there. Well, the epistles of Paul and Peter are quite specific as to how this aspect of fellowship, loving one another, is lived out in this spiritual community called the church. Now, we're not going to look at every single one this morning because 
I would hold you till after lunch, and I don't want to do that because some of you will just get up and walk out on me because you can't handle it. But the point is, there are 24 specific one another's in the New Testament. Did you know that? If you tally all of them up, there is 54 mentioned. But some of them overlap, like love one another is said several times. Pray for one another is another one. Uh, and, and so they are mentioned multiple times, but if we were to total up and, and just compress them down to the bare minimum, we'd have 24 different one another's. You want to hear them? Here you go. Accept one another. It states it very clearly as a, as a, as a fact that you are members one of another. Bear one another's burdens. Bear with one another. That's different. That means put up with, literally. Uh, build up one another. Care for one another. Be devoted to one another. Fellowship with one another. That, that's a command in the New Testament. Well, I don't like to be with people. Well, tough nuts. You're told to be fellowshipping with other people. You've got to do it. It's part of being part of the body of Christ. Uh, greet one another. Well, I'm not real social. Well, tough. I don't care. Greet one another. Learn how to be polite and greet one another. Why? It's not an issue of politeness, folks. It's an issue of obedience to the word of God. So greet one another. Many of you are good at that. Some, hey, you could work on it, okay? You'd be a little more warm and friendly and open and smiling. Hi, my name is, what's yours? Admonish one another. I just did that to you. Okay, that's exhorting. That's the word nutheteo that our brother talked about in, in, in Sunday school this morning. Uh, comfort one another. Now, here's the one that nobody likes, but it's absolutely necessary. It's called confess your faults one to another. Did you know we're supposed to confess our faults to one another? Oh, well, I'm not in the habit of doing it. Well, I don't care. When the word of God tells you you should do something, you ought to do it. Then what we need to ask is then how do I do that? Well, if you want to talk with me afterwards, I'll help you. Encourage one another. Forgive one another. We're, we're all the way now up to number 14. I still have 10 to go. Be honest one with the other. Spur one another on to love and good works. Honor one another. Pray for one another. And, and this is the one that sometimes we have problems with in business meetings. Be of the same mind with one another. Uh, serve one another. Be hospitable to one another. Be kind to one another. And then Paul repeats the main one, love one another in Romans chapter 13. I didn't say 1 Corinthians 13, I said Romans 13. Love one another. So you see, we, you might say to yourself, well, I just don't know how to live the Christian life. Well, there you've got 24 things you need to obey. Because they're all, and that's one of the things I want to do now, is to kind of give you some overall uh, understanding of these commands. 
Notice that each one of these, except for the one that says we are members of one another, it's just kind of a declarative statement. Uh, you know what an imperative is, right? Oh, I don't want to remember grammar class. Well, an imperative is a command, okay? To put it simply, when, when you see a little red sign that's kind of hexagonal that's out usually on street corners, and it has one big word written on it. What is it? That's a command. Stop. Don't go any further. And then we have those nonverbal commands. They're, they're called lights, and they're, one of them is yellow, and one of them is green, and one of them is red. Okay. So when it turns red, what's the command? What, what is the command of the, red, of the green? And what's the command of the yellow? That's right. Hit the gas pedal and gun it. <laughs> oh, goodness. Yes, we all do that, don't we? But I want you to notice that every single one of the commands that I read to you there is exactly that. It is a command. It is in, in the imperative mood in the verb. The verb is telling you to do this. Love one another. It doesn't have a caveat with it. Well, if they're nice to you, love them. No, it says love one another, no matter whether they're nice or not, whether they're ugly, whether they're tall, whether they're skinny, doesn't matter. Love them anyway. Love one another. That's the command. Now, here's something I want you to think about. When you come in the doors here, of the church. What was on your mind this morning? Now, you don't have to raise your hand and tell me. I don't want to know. But I want you to think in your heart, what were you thinking about when you walked through that front door this morning? Did any of your thoughts parallel one of the one another's in the scriptures, in the New Testament? Because that's what we are supposed to do as believers, that's how we show that we are the disciples of Jesus Christ. If we love one another. Now, how do I love my fellow believer? By obeying the one another commands. <laughs> that's how we do it. So I want you to remember each one of these is a command. In other words, you and I can't squirm out of it and say, well, because of whatever, you fill in the blank, I can't do that. Or I'm not wired to do that. In other words, none of us have an excuse. These are commands given to every believer to do. Second thing I want you to remember about these one another commands. Each one of these commands is connected to the phrase one another. You have a verb that's in the imperative connected with a one another. Therefore, these commands are intended to be carried out in community with other people. 
And here you thought that doing church meant come to church on Sunday morning and I've checked off that box. Wrong. This is when you gather corporately and talk to one another. And as in Colossians chapter 3, sing to one another and speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in your heart to the Lord. That, that's the fulfillment of that. So when we sang this new song that we were learning this morning, we were doing that. You were actually one anothering each other during the time that we were singing. Did you know that that's why God intended us to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in our heart to one another? It's so that we could speak truth one to the other. That's why you gather in a corporate setting. That's why we sing hymns together. That's why we sing songs together. That's why God intended the church to be together on a regular basis. It's not an oddball thing. Yeah, the world it is. Because as far as they're concerned, we're a bunch of freaks. Okay, let's be frank. Because they do question, why do they do that every Sunday? People that don't know Jesus don't know any different. And our job is to tell them and to help them understand why we do this together on a regular basis. Not only because Jesus has commanded us to do it in his word, but it's that's how we can grow. Do you realize how important it is for us to gather on a weekly basis, on a regular basis, to encourage one another and to hear truth from one another? That's why it's so very important when we sing together, we don't just sing any old thing. You don't listen to the radio and then go, oh, let's do that in church. Okay? The point is there's a specific reason and purpose and intention for why we sing what we sing in church. It's been known as, well, I would call it church music. But the point is, is that there are three criteria that should at least govern our thinking about singing together in church. And that is, first of all, what we sing should be telling the truth according to the word of God. It should be theologically correct, if we want to use a, another term. It should be biblically true. In other words, you should be able to look at the words in a hymn or a song or a spiritual song and compare it to truths that you find in the Bible. And if they match, then we ought to sing it. If they don't match, throw that thing out. Maybe the tune is beautiful. Find new words that are biblical to sing with them. But that is certainly something we should think about. Why do we gather together? We encourage one another, right? Well, I don't want to encourage you in false doctrine. I want to encourage you in the truth. And did you know that you're preaching to me when you sing a song in a worship service? I hear your voice. And I hear the words that come out of your mouth. And they should be words that encourage me to worship Jesus and to lift up the gospel and to praise God for what he has provided for me. Through his son, Jesus. That's why we sing. So that's a one another. 
Number three, each command is accompanied by an intended purpose or attending activity such as in order to or as you do this or in this way or do what leads to something. Each one of the commands, each one of these one and others has something like that connected with it. It is purposeful. In other words, we obey the one another commands intentionally. That means I have a reason for doing it. First reason is to obey Jesus because he told me that that's what I should do. But the second reason is so I can encourage my brothers and sisters, so I can help them understand who Jesus is. Notice the first one I mentioned, Romans chapter 15, verse 7, where it says, accept one another. The example is set there. It says, accept one another then just as Christ accepted you in order to. Ah, there's purpose. Why should I accept you? In order to bring praise to God. You see, I perform or I obey the accept one another command for the purpose of bringing praise to God. I challenge you. If you want these, I can give them to you. I'll give it to Pastor and he can make copies for you. But if you want to know how to be the church and how to act one toward the other in a community setting as a, as a, as a set of believers called the church, then you need to, you need to be doing these. <clears throat> but they aren't just exclusive to the church because we can do many of these one another's To unbelievers. That's how we show what Jesus looks like to an unsaved neighbor. Or an unsaved family member. Or an unsaved co-worker at work. Have you ever thought about, and this goes along with what John was saying this morning in, in, in our Sunday school hour. Galatians chapter 6 verse 2 says that we are to bear one another's burdens. Now, obviously, that particular passage is in the context of a church. He was talking to the, the churches of Galatia. So it was in the context of believers relating to one another. But there is an aspect where we, as, uh, as believers, can bear the burdens of unbelievers. And so we show what it looks like to live like Jesus in front of those unsaved people. If you want to see Grace Baptist Church grow and develop as a church that has a vibrant testimony in their community, learn what you can do to bear the burdens of other people. Very simply, we can bear burdens of others by asking, what is it that, that's going on in your life that I could pray for? Many times that opens doors to talk about Jesus and the gospel with people that nothing else would work. 
but you show that person you care enough for them to pray for a specific need they have. You know what? When they have another problem and you're genuine and sincere, they'll come around and ask you and talk to you. Hey, I got this thing going. Would, would you be willing to pray for me? And you can either do it right there on the spot with them to model what it looks like to talk to Jesus. <laughs> many, many unbelievers have never heard a Christian pray in their life. They have no idea what that looks like or sounds like. Do you know how much impact that would have in someone's life? That might be the, 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 the thing that God uses to flip a switch in their heart and mind and begin to draw them to himself because you're willing to bear their burden by praying for them. That's just one of many. Uh, the other one could be 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 25, where Paul says, care for one another so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. You know, Paul makes a point in that particular passage that God has conceived the body of Christ, the church, to have all kinds of different members who have all kinds of different skills and abilities and gifts. And that each one has been given a gift so that they can help the body. There are things that you can do that nobody else in this body can do. There are things that others can do that you're not capable of doing. That's why we need each other. I'm thankful that I'm not all one big fat ear. I would look really weird walking around. But God has put together different members of my body and you have been composed in a different way as well so that all the members of your physical body work together. That's the way God intended the church to work together. All these different pieces performing all their specific gifts together in harmony <coughs> to make the body function like it should. Let's look at another one here. So each command is accompanied by an intended purpose. The fourth one is each of the one another's, and this is the beauty of them, is interconnected. They are not mutually exclusive. In other words, when you walked in this morning and someone greeted you, what happened in that interchange? Well, perhaps there was a conversation about how you doing today? Or maybe a need was stated and you were able to talk to them about how you could help maybe meet that need. What that was doing is you were caring for one another. So you see, when you do one one another, you can actually accomplish multiple ones at the same time. It's not like, oh, I did that one. Okay, now I got to find another one to do. No, when you do that one, it might spill over into a multitude of other ones. Because when you greet that person, they might also share with you that they're discouraged. They had a rough week. And what do you do? You encourage them. That Encourage one another. But you see, when you encourage them, you're actually caring for them. And you might, in the midst of encourage them and caring for them, learn that there's a burden you can bear with them. So you've done four one another's all in one shot. 
This is not a one-off thing. It's how is our mind thinking about what we do with one another when we come in the front doors here, when we come for fellowship with God's people. Now, I do want to mention this, and this is the fifth thing, and I'll close with this. None of these one another's are able to be done without the help of the Holy Spirit. Because he's the one that motivates us to do it. He's the one that gives us the strength to do it. Now, I will say that there are some people who are just naturally caring and they do not know Jesus. That is not performing the one another's of the New Testament. Each one of these are enabled and empowered by the Spirit of God. These are spiritual activities. Yes, you may be naturally bent that way. Praise God. I'm glad there are people that are naturally bent to caring for one another. There are some people that are just naturally gifted at hospitality. By the way, that's another one another. Be hospitable. What that really literally means is be kind to strangers. That's the word that's used when it's translated be hospitable. It's the word for stranger in the New Testament. Be kind to strangers. Take strangers in. Take people you don't know in and get to know them. <laughs> now that could be the case here at Grace. There may be somebody in this room that's a member of this church that you don't know very well. You ought to be hospitable to them. That hospitality may look different for each one of you. But it's a way of getting to know one another. Why should we get, want to even get to know one another? Because we are members one of another. <laughs> That's why. We have been bought with a price. If we truly are Jesus' possession, we enjoy the same blessings and, and good things together because we belong to Jesus. So let me encourage you. It might not happen today, but let me encourage you in the days to come that you think about how you can pursue demonstrating that you are a disciple of Jesus by loving one another. And how you demonstrate that love will be encouraging one another, care for one another, be hospitable to one another, pray for one another, confess your faults to one another, bear one another's burdens, bear with one another, which literally means to put up with. You know what? This is what God has called his church to do. Let me encourage you. Let me Ready? I'm going to want another you now. I'm going to admonish you. I'm going to exhort you. Or in the words of our counselor, I'm going to nuthateo you. Okay? I am admonishing you. Pursue the one another's. If you want to build a fellowship of people that love each other, that hang together when the going gets hard, whether individually or corporately, if you one another each other, you will be fulfilling the law of Christ. 
love one another. Now, there's also something that we engage in as a church. Notice back in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. What are one of the four activities that the church was involved in after Pentecost? It says they gathered around the apostles' doctrine. That's what we did today. We, we looked at the Word of God and let the Word of God teach us what it has to say. The second thing they were involved in was fellowship. They actually got together face-to-face, not virtually, but face-to-face, in person, and they talked to one another, and they listened to one another, and they bore each other's burdens. They encouraged one another. They greeted one another, some of them with a holy kiss. And then it says they broke bread together, and then they prayed. The whole aspect of breaking bread together is basically found in the Lord's table. Why does the church regularly celebrate the Lord's table? Why do we do that? Can you tell me? Lots of responses. It's basically because, here we go again, it was an imperative. We've been commanded to do it. That's what we do. Why do we need to do that? Well, there are two ordinances. One is baptism, the other is the Lord's table, right? Right? Yes? Okay. What do both of those ordinances have as a purpose? They both have the same purpose. Right, and what did Jesus do that we're supposed to remember till he came? Well, we have, we have some red liquid and we have some bread. What is that a memory of? It's the gospel. That's what gathers us together. That's why we celebrate the Lord's table. Why do we celebrate baptism? Because it's the gospel. Because when you plunge that individual into the water and under the water and they come up out of the water, it's a symbol, it's a picture of Jesus dying and rising again the third day. It's the gospel. So the believer's baptism focuses on the resurrection and the power of it and the Lord's table focuses on his death. And we remember these things until he returns. Jesus hasn't come back yet. That's why we celebrate the Lord's table. And we will continue as his church to celebrate the Lord's table until he returns. And then we won't need to celebrate the Lord's table like this. You know why? we will be in the presence of the Lamb. And we will celebrate with him face to face, personally, with his church. All the thousands and millions of Christians through the ages who have gone on before us, one day we're all going to sit together at one big happy family meal called the Lamb's Supper. And guess what? We'll all be together as a group <laughs> in community. See, these Grace Baptist Church and other churches around Phoenix 
and around Arizona and around the U.S. and around the world are all meeting today. But it's a precursor to when Jesus comes back and gathers his entire church together so that we can all enjoy fellowship together in his presence. We'll be perfect. We won't be wearing glasses. We won't be crippled from sprained ankles or broken feet or whatever else we have. We will be perfect in his presence. That's why we celebrate the Lord's table. Pastor. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this privilege we have to really worship together, to celebrate your death. And Lord, we are thankful for the gift that you've given through your Son, Jesus Christ. I pray that each one here as an individual might understand the peace that comes about through a, a personal relationship with you, but also the joy that each one can have in living for you and, and serving you. And as we partake together in this Lord's Supper, an act that each individual, as we come together as a corporate body, communion, one with another, we desire to honor you through this act of obedience, but also we are grateful as the, the symbols of the, of the bread and the cup represent your body and your blood that was shed for us. And we are grateful 
for what you are doing in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Just a reminder, just want to ask that you wait till we'll pass out the elements and for each um, to wait and we'll all partake together. Just going to ask uh, Michael Browning if he would ask the Lord's blessing on the bread. Dear Lord, we just thank you for the opportunity to come to your table this morning, Lord, and we thank you for sending your son, Lord, to die and suffer on the cross, Lord, for our sins that we might have salvation, Lord. I just ask your blessing now on this bread that represents your body that was broken for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.